0: Today, we begin Shmuel Bet, which is a direct continuation of Shmuel Aleph, obviously. And the truth is, the book of Shmuel is one book. And that's what it says in Tractate Baba Batra, where they discuss the books of the Tanakh. And this is what it says in the Talmud, Tanu Rabbanan, the rabbis taught. This is the order of the prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, etc. And notice it doesn't say anything about Samuel 1 and Samuel 2 or Shmuel Aleph, Shmuel Bet, because it's one book, just like the book of Kings is one book. So how did it become two books? Well, the fact is we're reading the Bible according to the Christian division of the scripture. You see, in the 13th century, the Bible was divided into chapters by the church, and they designated a Shmuel Aleph and a Shmuel Bet, the Kings one and Kings two. It's not just that Shmuel and Kings were broken up into two different books, But the entire Bible breakup, the order of the chapters was different in the original Hebrew Bible. And of course, they divided the scripture into different chapters than it was in the original text, so that we have a different division of scripture in the Hebrew text and the Christian text. And then when the first Bibles were printed in the 15th century, they were printed with two Shmoils and two kings, according to the Christian division. But the original Hebrew manuscripts have a different division, different seder. And so originally there was no break between Shmuel Aleph and Shmuel Bet. It's one coherent story. As we're going to see, the first chapter of Shmuel Bet is a direct continuation of the end of Shmuel Aleph. Now in some Bibles, they'll put the original chapter numbers as they used to be in the original Hebrew Bible. You can see it on the margins, the original breakup. For instance, what we're going to learn now, Shmuel Bet chapter one is actually Shmuel chapter 23. That's the original breakdown. Now there are a couple of rabbis who for years now have been calling to restore the Jewish division of the Bible to the original ancient chapter breakdown because they claim, rightfully so, that the Christian division of the scripture, it reflects to a certain extent their ideology. That is, the way they broke it down helps to serve their narrative that they're the true religion and the Jews aren't anymore. And these rabbis who want to go back to the original breakup, they're saying that the Jews are using the Christian division of the scripture since the 15th century without giving it a second thought. And you got to give it a second thought because it matters. Just like everything in the Tanakh matters, every letter, every word, there's nothing superfluous. Well, the same thing with the chapter breakdown. Obviously, there's a reason why this chapter ends and the other one begins. And let me just give one example where the Jewish division of the chapters and the Christian division, it really does affect the narrative. And one of the examples given, which shows how how you divide it to chapters does affect things, is the golden calf episode. What happens in the golden calf episode? Well, we know the Jews do the golden calf. Very bad sin. Now, according to the Christian breakdown of the chapters, the golden calf episode is in Exodus chapter 32. It begins the chapter That's how the chapter begins, verse 1, chapter 32, that the people saw Moses was delayed and they built themselves a golden calf. Now, according to the original Hebrew breakdown, it belongs to the chapter before it. The golden calf episode doesn't start a new chapter. It's part of the same chapter where the Jews got the tablets on Mount Sinai. If you go to the previous chapter, chapter 31, verse 18, it says that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai two tablets of the testimony Tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And the next verse begins the golden calf. But it's in the same chapter. So it's more forgiving. You see? Yeah, we did the golden calf. But Hashem also gave us the tablets in the same chapter. But in the Christian breakdown, the chapter opens where the Jews start doing the golden calf. And so what that does is it, it leaves the reader with a negative impression regarding the moral character of Israel. Because you're separating the giving of the tablets with the golden calf. But if you have the giving of the tablets and the golden calf in the same chapter as it originally was in the Hebrew division of the chapters, then it doesn't make the golden calf episode look as bad. The Jews look better this way because it shows that the law was given despite the sin of the golden calf because they both appear in the same chapter. But the Christians separated it. But by separating the golden calf episode in its own chapter, it's like saying the Jews are not chosen anymore. That reflects the Christian slant or their theology or their narrative to be against Israel, to say that they sinned and they weren't forgiven. So that's just one small example, but there's many, many examples, not necessarily to put down the nation of Israel, but sometimes it could just change the simple meaning of what's going on by starting a new chapter. It certainly has an effect on the whole feel of the narrative. Now, it's easy to understand why it turned out that we are getting the Christian division of the Bible because once it went to print, what are you going to do? You don't want to have two different chapter breakdowns of the Bible, a Christian division and a Jewish division of the chapters because that would be very confusing. It would mess us up. And that's probably why we kept it that way. There is a big disadvantage of having a Christian version of the Bible and a Jewish version of the Bible, two different Bibles. That is, it's the same Bible, but the breakdown of the chapters is different. I'll tell you the problem, because nobody will know what the other's talking about. Some will say we're learning Shmuel Bet Chapter One. Others will say, no, we're learning Shmuel Chapter 23, and it's referring to the same chapter, and it would cause a lot of confusion. But most importantly, by having the same breakdown that the Christian Bible and the Jewish Bible has the same division of chapters, that enables us to debate them. I mean, when they come along and say, oh, Isaiah 52 is talking about Jesus Christ that suffering servant in that chapter is talking about Jesus. Well, they say that all the time and we want to debate that. We want rabbis like Tuvia Sanger to come along and show that's not true, but how is he going to do it if Isaiah 52 in the Christian Bible, which talks about the suffering servant, in the Hebrew Bible, it's chapter 21. So it'll be like two different Bibles, two different breakdowns of the chapters. You'll have a lot of trouble debating them. How will Rabbi Tuvi Singer be able to refute the Christian claims? Because they're talking about chapter 52 and we're talking about chapter 21. And so because we want to refute the false Christian narratives, it's probably for the best that we all have exactly the same Bible. That is, if the chapters are broken up differently, nobody will know what the other guy is talking about. And one other thing before we get into the verses, and that concerns the authorship of Shmuel Bet. We know that Shmuel passed away back in Shmuel Aleph, chapter 25. So obviously, he didn't write the entire book of Shmuel. It was his students, Natan, Gad, who authored the rest of the book. And if you recall what we learned before learning the book of Shmuel, the Obar explained that we don't necessarily call this the book of Shmuel because he wrote it, just like the book of Kings was written by Jeremiah the prophet, but we don't call it the book of Jeremiah, we call it the book of Kings because it's all about the Kings, And and here as well, we don't call it the book of Shmuel just because of its authorship, but because Shmuel, he is the game changer. He brought the generation up from the low period that characterized the book of Judges. He picked up the nation, both spiritually and nationally. And so he is the star of this book because the two kings who operate in the book of Shmuel, Saul and David, he anointed them. He's their rebbe, so to speak. So he's the star and it's not just authorship, that determines the name of the book. Okay, so let's begin. We have to remember where we left off. Saul and his sons fell in the battlefield of Mount Gilboa. David, in the meantime, was dealing with his issues at Siklag. He doesn't know what happened in the war between Israel and the Philistines. And now he's going to find out in verse 1. And it was after that Saul died. The David shav Mehakot, et amaleki and David returned from smiting the Amalekites. And David was sitting in Siklag for a couple of days. So when you see how this chapter opens, it's very similar to other places in the Bible when you have a transition period. That is, one period is ending, another is beginning. And that's why it says, And it was after Saul's death, right? That's how we open this chapter. And that's very similar to what we had at the beginning of the book of Joshua. And it was after Moses' death. That's how we start the book of Joshua, who's going to take over for Moses. And then you have at the beginning of the book of Judges, it opens like this. And it was after the death of Joshua. So this is like a classic opening to show a transition period on the way. And what transition are we talking about? Well, we're going from Saul to David. But we'll see that it's not exactly a smooth transition by any means. Anyway, it says that when Saul was fighting in the war, David was in Siklag, and he knew nothing about the results of that war. He was just in Siklag trying to rebuild the place after the Amalekites had burned it. And while this is happening, that is while he's in Siklag, it says in verse 2, And it was on the third day, behold, A man came from the camp, from Saul. And his clothes were torn. And earth was on his head. And of course, those are signs of mourning. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. Okay, so we have this Amalekite running to David. He's going to be the Mavaser here. The Mavaser is the bearer of the tidings. And that's ironic in itself, because Saul sinned regarding Amalek, and now this Amalekite is going to be the Mavaser. And Rabbi Kahana points out that it's also ironic that in the beginning of Shmuel Aleph, when the Jews fell to the Philistines and the Ark was taken, etc., it was Saul, the Ish he was the Mavaser. He was the bearer of the tidings. And we've mentioned before how the Mavaser, the bearer of the tidings, plays a prominent role in scripture because that's how the news was broadcasted. Okay, so the Amalekite is going to tell David what happened in the war between Israel and the Philistines. And that's what verse three is, just like this. Vayomer david And David said to him, Amizet Tavo, where are you coming from? Vayomer And he said to him, Mimachanei Yisrael nimlatiti. He said back to David, From the camp of Israel, Mimachanei Yisrael, I have escaped. Okay, so at this point, David has to be full of trepidation. He knows it's not going to be good news here. He sees the signs of mourning. He obviously knows that some tragedy has occurred, and he knows something bad is coming, and he knows it's about the war. Okay, by of David, and David said to him, "Mahayadavar Hagendali." And David said to him, "Tell me, know what happened." That is, the Amalekite said, "I escaped from the camp of Israel." But he didn't say what happened, so David saying knew no, what happened already. Hagendali, stop playing with me, and now the Amalekite is going to tell what happened. Vayomer, and he said, Ashenasaam mina milchama. The people fled from the battle. Vegam and many of the people fell and died. Vegam, and also Shaul vayonitan banu metu, and also Saul and his son Yonatan died. And that is the part that hurts the most because David had a feeling that the Jews were going to be defeated, but he was hoping that somehow Saul and Yonatan would survive it. And even though Saul's death is his ticket to the Malchut, he's not happy. He's in mourning, as we'll see. Okay, so now David is going to ask this Amalekite for some more details about what happened. But before he does, I'll bring you some of the commentary of Rabbi Kahane here. He explains the Amalekite's behavior here, that he's really kissing up to David at the beginning. And he lies because he says, first off, I escaped from the Israelite camp. That is, he's given the impression that he's from the Jewish side. You know, he's part of the Jewish nation. I came from the Israelite camp. He doesn't say who he is. The scripture told us he's an Amalekite, but he's acting like he's on our side. He almost makes himself like he's part of the war effort. Now soon, in a verse or two from now, David is going to interrogate him further and it will expose him because he's going to say under interrogation, Nekra He's going to say soon, I happen to be in Hargilboa. That is, I chanced upon Hargilboa. He's going to say, What do you mean you chanced upon Hargilboa? I thought you escaped from the Israelite camp. So he opened up with a lie because he wasn't exactly somebody who was from the camp of Israel, like he said. He was more like a scavenger who was chancing upon Hargilboa. Okay, so let's see what David asks him now. Remember, he wants more details. So he says to the Mivaser, to the Amalekite Mivaser, he says in verse 5, And David said to the youth who brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Yonatan are dead? And the commentator of the Mitzudat David says that David is asking, Is this hearsay? Is this a rumor? Or is this something that you saw with your own eyes? That is, David is hoping that maybe it's not true. He's holding on to a glimmer of hope that maybe it's not true. And now the Amalekite is going to go on a five-verse explanation of what he saw. We'll see that, no, it's not a rumor. He's going to explain how he was an eyewitness to it and even participated in the death of Saul. Okay, so let's see what this Amalekite Mivaser says. Verse 6. Vyomar Hanar Hamagillo and the youth who told him said the following Nigranikreti, the Hargilboa, I happen to be going past Hargilboa, or I chanced by Mount Gilboa. I happened to be there. Nikreti from the word mikre. Incidentally, I was in Hargilboa, which as we mentioned is a little bit different than what he said at the beginning. Okay, so he says, I happen to be walking by, and what did I see? Sha'ul Nishan Al Khanito And there was Saul leaning on his spear. And the chariots and the riders were in hot pursuit. Hidbiku, we saw that one in the last chapter from the word devik, they were chasing him. In hot pursuit, they were sticking to him. Okay, so in the meantime, it kind of matches what we read in the last chapter. It also said there that the riders hidbiku to Sha'ul, they were glued to him in hot pursuit. But here we see a difference than what we saw in the previous chapter. When Saul went down in the last chapter, it said he fell on his sword. Here the Amalekite says that he's leaning on his spear. So that doesn't necessarily contradict. He fell on his sword in the previous chapter. He wasn't able to finish the job. So now he's leaning on his spear. Okay, so how can you reconcile the two versions, what we saw in the previous chapter, where the Tanakh itself was telling us what happened, and this testimony of the Amalekite. So the Radak says that Saul did fall on his sword, like it says before, but he didn't die from it. And so he's in agony, he's weakened, and he's leaning on his spear for support. That's what it means, Nishan al-Khanit. He's leaning on his spear. But according to the Ralbag, this is what happened. Saul tried to kill himself by falling on his sword, but it failed to penetrate his armor. So now he's leaning on his spear with all his might, trying to finish himself off. And the Ralbag doesn't differentiate between Hanit v'Kherev. Spear, sword, it's the same thing for him. Okay, let's continue in the Amalekite's version of events in verse seven, when he said he saw Saul leading on his spear. And now he continues. And then he turned around and saw me. That is, Saul saw the Amalekite, and he called out to me. And I said, Hineni, here I am. And he asked me, who are you? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. Verse nine, and then he said to me, Please stand over me and kill me. Or please stand over me and put me to death. Why? od Now this part of the verse has a lot of interpretations, but the shot for now, the simple understanding for now is that Saul is in horrible physical agony. And he's saying, I'm in my death throes. Just stand over me and stick the spear through me. A that is stand over me to get better leverage. So the spear will penetrate and take me out of my misery. And of course, Saul wants to die before the Philistines get to him, as we saw in the previous chapter. And now in verse ten, this Amalekite obliges. He says like this So I stood over him and I put him to death. And here's the crown of his head, and here's the band on his arms. He thinks David will be happy to get Saul's crown and his band. We'll see in our next year what that really may be. But that's the five-verse version of events according to this Amalekite youth. Now, this description is obviously something we did not see in the previous chapter, in Shmuel 1, chapter 31, where we had a description of Saul's death, where he asked his arms bearer to kill him, and he fell on his sword. But we didn't see any of this. This is obviously a, an addition to the narrative of Saul's death. And obviously, it's something that happened a little later on. Now, in next year, what we want to do is we want to check out a whole lot of things concerning this version of events. Now, this is probably what really happened, but we'll examine if this Amalekite put a spin on it. I mean, what was he doing there anyway? Was he there during the war like he said he was, that he escaped from the Philistine camp? He says when he got there, the Philistines were pursuing Saul. Was he really there for that? What, he was in the heat of the battle? So there are a couple of problems with this version of this Amalekite, and he's not as innocent as he may appear. And we'll see in the next few verses how David is going to grill him, and he'll reveal a lot of holes in this Amalekite's recounting of the events. So stay tuned.